Welcome to Better Than Nothing. What you are about to hear is just me being able to speak with some amazing people that come from many walks of life. This episode of Better Than Nothing is brought to you by Concept by Iowa Hearing. We are committed to helping you hear better. Visit iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020 for a free hearing screening. Hello, this is Ken Root. Last week, this podcast featured the career of Dr. Kenneth Quinn. As a young man, he entered the U.S. Diplomatic Corps, he worked in Vietnam, and his service culminated in serving as ambassador to Cambodia in the 1990s, a very tough position. For most of us, that would have been enough. But for Ambassador Quinn, it was a time of service to country and a learning experience to hone his skills, but only as a prelude to his next career. He became the head of the World Food Prize, working with Dr. Norman Borlaug and staying in that capacity for 20 years. Ambassador Quinn, good to have you back with us again this week. Hey, Ken. It's so wonderful to be back with you. I greatly enjoyed our previous conversation and looking forward very much to uh, to uh, telling you a story uh, about the my second, you know, I, I refer to it, my retirement gig, uh, you know, coming coming back home to, to Iowa in uh, 1999 after finishing my 32 years uh, with the U.S. Foreign Service and the State Department and uh, going from uh, Cambodia. Uh, I was sort of literally going from the killing fields to the field of dreams, uh, mm. returning to Iowa. And when I uh, came back uh, to take the job of uh, leading the World Food Prize, I was told I, my, my uh, job was about fulfilling two dreams. Norman Borlaug's dream that the World Food Prize could come to be seen as the quote-unquote Nobel Prize for Food and Agriculture, and John Ruan Sr.'s uh, dream of making Iowa and central Iowa the U.S. food and agricultural capital. So uh, I, I, uh, as I came back and I found out, I uh, sitting there in the, my office in the Ruan Center in downtown Des Moines, and I thought, well, this is mission impossible. I had a one-person staff, uh, Few people really had ever heard of the World Food Prize. Norman Borlaug wasn't very well known, even in Iowa. The World Food Prize was a one-day event, drew maybe about 25 people from outside Iowa. There were only 20 students in the uh, World Food Prize Youth Institute, all from Iowa. And uh, the, the annual amount of money raised annually by the World Food Prize was $45,000. And uh, I, I was thought, I wonder if I call the State Department if they'd let me unretire. But I, I was pretty sure they wouldn't do that. And I said, well, I'm going to, you know, set out and see what I can do. Um, you know, John Ruan had provided a generous endowment. 
and Norman Borlaug needs to be known as uh, the great hero that uh, he was to me. And so I set out to uh, endeavor to, to do that, fulfill those two dreams uh, over the next 20 years. I'm going to assume that a lot of people listening are younger than you and I, so they may not know the extent of the work of the 1970 Nobel Peace Prize winner, Norman Borlaug, who is an Iowan, an agronomist. And I would ask you, how would you introduce him right now to those who may really only have heard his name? Norman Borlaug was born on a farm of uh, Norwegian immigrant uh, parents and grandparents in Howard County in northeastern Iowa. He uh, it was in a little town of named Saudi, which was near a small town of Cresco. And uh, he uh, grew up, um, you know, going to a one-room school. Uh, got in, became a uh, champion wrestler in high school. Wrestling was just getting started as a high school sport. And then, uh, being an Iowan myself, like to say he made his only uh, one mistake in life. He went to the University of Minnesota <laughs> instead of going to Iowa State or Northern Iowa. But he went to Minnesota, got a, a bachelor's degree and a Ph.D. in plant pathology. And uh, in the early, uh, in the 1940s, went to Mexico, working in the most remote parts of that country, hand-in-hand uh, hand with the uh, small-scale peasant farmers, and developed a miracle wheat, a high-yielding, disease-resistant wheat plant, wheat variety, that changed the uh, realities and dynamics of Mexican agriculture. And then in the early 1960s, as a great famine was sweeping down in South Asia and threatening to take the lives of hundreds of millions of people in India, Pakistan, South Asia, the Middle East, uh, Dr. Borlaug went to India and with a, a young scientist there named M.S. Swaminathan, uh, convinced the government to totally redo its uh, reform, its agricultural program, introduced the miracle wheat that he had developed in Mexico, and the famine and the mass starvation and the mass deaths uh, were all averted. Uh, as, and he was at the forefront of what has come to be known as the Green Revolution. As I explain it, the single greatest period of food production and hunger reduction in all human history. And this son of uh, Norwegian immigrants was called uh, in 1970 to, in a sense, come home to Oslo to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. And so this incredible story and of uh, this young scientist who, despite the daunting challenges he faced uh, from his training and work as a, as a wrestler, it was never give up 
Never let yourself be pinned. Never let hunger and famine and malnutrition pin your shoulder and defeat you. Keep struggling against it and struggle and struggle. And Norman Borlaug became a hero in India where they have erected statues of him. In Mexico, where in uh, Obregon and Sonora, they've erected statues of him. And he is a hero in uh, from from Egypt and the through the Middle East to to Iran and uh, was one of the first Americans to go to China. And then uh, his last great effort um, was to uh, bring the Green Revolution to Africa, the one continent that had not had its advantage, and to build and inspire uh, the individuals and the innovations that would be needed to eradicate hunger on our planet, he started the World Food Prize in 1986 with the dream that it would become the Nobel Prize for Food and Agriculture. Uh, he, he he told the Nobel Committee, you know, he was a very blunt and straightforward Norwegian and he told the Nobel Committee, you don't have a prize for agriculture. You should get one started right away. And they they said, well, we're so sorry, Doc. We don't have the money. It's not in Alfred Nobel's will. So, you know, he's a, a determined, determined Scandinavian. He went out and worked until he got one started. So that's how Norman Borlaug is one of the great heroes, in my view, uh, the, the greatest agricultural scientist in the history of the United States of America. He's the single greatest graduate of the any land-grant college or university in America since they were started in 1862, and is uh, from his perch up in Green Revolution Heaven, you know, looking down and continuing through his legacy to inspire the next generation, because he was a teacher, and he was always anxious through the World Food Prize Youth Program to inspire the the next generation, inspire the next yes. generation of young students to carry on that mission, because as Dr. Borlaug would tell you if he were here, and mu much more eloquently than I can, that we now face the single greatest challenge our species ever has which is can we produce enough uh, nutritious food and can we do it sustainably to feed the 9 to 10 billion people who will be on our planet by the year 2046 when Iowa celebrates its 200th anniversary of statehood. You know, when, when uh, Iowa was open for settlement in 1834, uh, there were about one billion people on our planet. When Norman Borlaug was born in 1914, the total population of the planet was about 1.7 billion. When he died 95 years later in uh, 2009, the global population had just reached 7 billion. Now, 2023, it's 8 billion and the population is being added 
uh, exponentially as it increases. There'll be another billion people in Africa from uh, in the next 20, 25 years. And so doc, we need Dr. Borlaug's inspiration more than ever. I followed his work from the beginning of my career on to his death. I, uh, I found him to be a man of boundless energy and of determination. But I also saw him as a man who, just as you pointed out, wanted these younger people to uh, get in a group, basically, to become a team, all of his associates to become his team, and to move forward together. And I wonder how you intersected with him and how it went with the two of you. Well, uh, you know, I was hired to become the new president of the World Food Prize by the Ruan family. Uh, they had endowed the World Food Prize, and so I was I was interviewed by John Ruan III, uh, who uh, passed away uh, sadly uh, two years ago. But uh, I was interviewed. I came home to Iowa, where I met Norman Borlaug for the first time, and uh, he was with a couple of colleagues. And he looked at me, and I thought suspiciously, think, and he was thinking to himself, "What have the Ruans done?" They've hired this guy who is a former, you know, diplomat going to all these fancy parties and, uh, you know, with no back, real background in agriculture. And so I'm sitting there meeting him and he's not smiling as we're talking. And I'm, I'm telling him as fast as I can about my experiences in Vietnam, about seeing firsthand the impact of roads and new seeds and telling him how by building the roads we were you know um, introducing the new ir8 uh, miracle rice seeds we had produced this incredible breakthrough and when dr borlaug heard me say roads he, we were in a this very nice you know club restaurant at the top of the ruan building and he shouts in his loud voice he goes roads and he pounds the table with with his fist I tell you, Ken, I thought I was being fired before I even got started. And Dr. Borg <laughs> then told me about his view of how roads were absolutely essential to any agricultural development. And he would take young students out and standing in the middle of, you know, farm fields, and he'd say, if you don't have a road to get to market, you're wasting your time growing all these crops out here and developing new seeds. And so the bond between Norman Borlaug and me, between this great plant pathologist and me, the you know diplomat born in the Bronx and transplanted in, in Iowa, was so solid. And, and I had the incredible privilege to work with him for a decade and fulfilling his vision of making the World Food Prize into the, you know, premier event in the world, as Sir Gordon uh, Conway described it, of bringing together the top research scientists, uh, governmental leaders, starting and building a youth institute uh, so that it would be not only attract students from Iowa, but 
or from around the U.S. and now from foreign countries to make the ceremony at which we give the World Food Prize and the state capital into the Oscars of agriculture. And so that Dr. Borlaug said, the ceremony I, I created in the state capital, his words were, it exceeded the one at which I received the Nobel Peace Prize in Norway. Oh so that had to take a lot for a, a Norwegian, good Norwegian like him, to to say that about the, the Nobel Peace Prize. He aligned himself with science, or I think sometimes science aligned itself with him, because uh, the utilization of every technology in my view, was considered by Dr. Borlaug to see if it would get him to his goal. And fertilizer was number one, as I see it, in that the wheat that he bred and the rice that he bred was able to produce with uh, a higher yield because of fertilization, and it was able to hold that head up there that would be much heavier because of the amount of grain on it uh, until it could be harvested without falling over which in some cases you may think is a simple thing, but when you're in plant breeding, it is definitely not, and it's a step forward. But I saw him move on from that to other technologies, and when um, we had uh, biotechnology enter agriculture and being able to have uh, genetically modified crops, uh, he wasn't hesitant at all to see their value and to try to increase their usage. And that leads me to the amount of support that you got for the World Food Prize, because although you were sitting in a very good place, Des Moines, in Iowa, with uh, high-yield crops, there were many companies that appear to me that were very generous in their donations because they believed in him and what he was promoting. Well, that's absolutely right. I mentioned before, when I arrived, they had received $45,000. In annually in contributions from all you know foundations companies and when I retired the figure was close to two million dollars and that was and, and in addition I raised 36 million dollars to transform the old Des Moines Public Library into the Dr. Norman E. Borlaug Hall of Laureates and we were able to do that uh, of course partly in his name but because we made our events so central to the great debate going on. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a PhD, uh, international relations specialist, and I believe in ideas have to contend. So the very first symposium that I organized was around the question of the safety of genetically modified crops and their role in feeding developing countries. And I brought experts from Africa, from India, from China, and from Europe. And I brought in the, you know, the Minister of Agriculture from, from Germany, uh, in places where there was great hesitancy about having uh, genetically modified crops and foods uh, and in, in, in promoting those. And, uh, I, you know, I, I br had brought the critics to Des Moines and, and everybody had their, their say uh, on the stage. 
and it was it turned out to be that you know there was great hunger uh for this debate and uh I did that all throughout while Dr. Borlaug was still with us and to bring and highlight the most difficult issues you know in the National Academy of Sciences in Washington DC uh, which is right across from the US State Department uh in a uh, beautifully decorated kind of rotunda uh you look up you see it's written there science is the multiplier of the harvest and dr borlaug believed that and he believed in in the power of science uh with agriculture as as you said but also in things like genetic modification and exploring other technologies uh new ones like uh, crispr cas gene editing and we wanted to have all of the experts come and be on the stage in Des Moines every October at the World Food Prize uh when Dr. Borlaug was was alive and there he of course was a magnet but people continued to come even after he passed away and so was you know Bill Gates who could give a speech anywhere in the world that he wants chose to come to Des Moines in 2009 to launch his multi-billion dollar global initiative to uplift uh, Africa and uplift smallholder farmers and to uh, uh, end poverty and enhance uh, uh the uh, nutrition uh all of that because his uh staff had told him that they came here and they told him we met a more diverse array of people at the World Food Prize in Des Moines than any other conference we went to anywhere in the world and so it was the the the, the draw of of Norman Borlaug's legacy that would bring people uh together Ambassador, let's talk about the recipients of the World Food Prize. I know you said it began in the 1980s, but I started following it in the early 2000s. It had some very interesting winners. The ones that we would know in the United States included US Senator Bob Dole, a former candidate for president, and Senator George McGovern, also a candidate for president, that received it together one year. I thought it was amazing that the people in this example on extreme opposites of their parties together were recognized because of what they had done. It was awarded for leadership encouraging global commitment to school feeding. So I really think that one of the things it did was to show that we had common ground among people even of different political persuasions. It's absolutely when I when I arrived we there had never been a woman laureate there had been no laureates from africa there were no laureates from latin america none from the middle east and when i retired 20 years later we had six from africa six from latin america six women and and one a very <laughs> significant one from from the middle east uh senate and we expanded the categories so that it wasn't just scientists to develop new seeds and new breakthrough 
on that, but could be also policy advocates. We had several presidents of countries uh, uh, who mm-hmm. fought hunger, like uh, Lula da Silva from Brazil and uh, John uh, Kufor from, from Ghana. But McGovern and Dole were a particularly compelling combination because they personified in terms of American politics that agriculture, almost more than any other subject, can bring people together across great differences. And that is not only political differences in America, but it can be diplomatic and ethnic differences, religious differences um, in countries and regions all around the world. In 2012, a man named uh, Daniel Hillel, an irrigation pioneer from Israel, a Jew, won the World Food Prize, and and he had been nominated by three Muslim scientists from three Muslim and Arab countries. And the Secretary General of the UN, Ban Ki-moon, came to Des Moines to join in presenting the World Food Prize uh, to Dr. Hillel. And this is the incredible power of peace through agriculture which has been the thread of my entire career for 55 years of this and remain. And it was the message of Dr. Borlaug's life and his, in his endeavors, um, the, and it showed in, uh, in Iran in 2014, uh, the Iranian uh, agricultural biotechnology research Institute, contacted me to buy a copy of the statue of Norman Borlaug that Iowa put in the U.S. Capitol. And they said, we want, a, we want a copy of that statue to put up on our campus outside Tehran. And uh, so I got permission for them to do it, but they couldn't get the treasury license needed to spend the money in the U.S. to get it. But just imagine, uh, they, they, they had a, 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 a one-day a symposium just about Dr. Borlaug, and they invited me to come. I'm the only senior American, former senior American official ever invited to come and speak in Iran uh, with this, you know, with uh, the Grand Ayatollah ruling the country. And uh, I talked about Dr. Borlaug's legacy and how agriculture could be a way to provide peace between the U.S., and Iran, and I got a standing ovation uh, there. I was stunned. The the power of Dr. Borlaug's legacy, and including the mullah who was representing the Grand Ayatollah and the Minister of Agriculture. And so, you know, now in, in Iowa, the World Food Prize is still an event, and that legacy that where you can get the senior Democrats and Republicans to all come together. And uh, they, when we talk about and they hear the stories about Dr. Borlaug, uh, people in both parties are wiping tears from their eyes because they have such respect, admiration, affection, and love for Dr. Borlaug and all that he accomplished. Let's take a moment to talk with Taylor Parker, President of Concept by Iowa Hearing. Taylor, is there a correlation between an untreated hearing loss and balance, 
or a greater chance of falling in older people. You are very correct in that, Ken. Um, you know, individuals that have even a mild hearing loss, the risk of falling triples. And every 10 decibels that your hearing loss, wor hearing loss worsens, it increases your risk by 140%. So a mild untreated loss triples your risk. Every 10 decibels, 140% greater for every 10 decibels. So by the time you get to a severe or, um, you know, profound, you're talking, your chances of falling are extremely high. And how that comes into play, you know, we talked about dementia before and, you know, that it pulls from cognitive, but the other area that your brain pulls resources from to focus on untreated hearing loss is balance and gait. So the ability, you know, you think about, you know, when you get up from a, from a chair, you don't think about getting up. Your brain says, well, I need to get up and you just you get up and go. Individuals that now have the, the you know, risk of falling, they have to brace themselves. They have to, you know, use support. They actually have to think about getting up from things or, or making that move of, well, I'm going to go from here to here, or, you know, they're out on a walk and having that spatial awareness of who's around them or what's around them. They lose that, that ability to hear that. So they lose that ability. You know, one of the, the, um, big ones was um, Jack Campbell's grandfather down um, at the bowl game. He was going to step out on the street and he didn't hear his family tell him to not cross the street. And, you know, falls are the leading cause of accidental death in adults over the age of 65. So we're not talking individuals, you know, 80 and 90 years old, which, you know, they do fall in this category because typically they have a hearing loss and, they're they're just a little they're balancing gates a little more off but we're talking the age of 65 and above is something that you know a lot of individuals need to you know understand and you know understand how it all plays into to every you know everyday life thank you taylor schedule your free hearing screening at concept by iowa hearing you can reach them at 877 955 4020 or online at iowahearing.com. Well, it's obvious to me that food transitions across all lines, and uh, it makes it to where that we have a commonality in that everybody needs to eat, and every country wants to have a level of self-sufficiency. My guest is uh, Ambassador Kenneth Quinn, who in my first episode with him a week ago, if you'd like to go back and find that, um, talked about his first career as a diplomat going from Vietnam all the way to Cambodia over a 30-year period. And this time we were talking about the World Food Prize and his work with the Borlaug Foundation and uh, retiring a second time uh, and now being able to so well articulate the stories of Dr. Borlaug. I want to tell you before we go a couple of things that I intersected with him on, and just your reaction or your chuckle, I hope. Sure. As a, as a, as a farm broadcaster, um, I was traveling to a news event in which, um, at the convention, they brought in Dr. Borlaug to speak. Now, he was in his 80s at the time, but extremely sharp. And uh, so he uh, gave his speech. And at the end of it, there were about 15 of us who had microphones, and we stood up and we said, Dr. Borlaug, would you answer a question, please? And he said, certainly. 
One farm broadcaster asks one question, and Dr. Borlaug begins to speak. Fifteen minutes later, he is still talking. Of course, no one is going to lower their microphone and disrespect and step away from him. And this lady comes out from behind the curtain, and she said, What are you doing detaining Dr. Borlaug? And he just looked at us with a sheepish grin and just vanished under the curtain. <laughs> and we got chewed by this lady because we were politely listening to him talk for 15 minutes. Have you ever had a situation like that with him? <laughs> oh, well, well, yes, indeed, I did. Um, we, we were, we, I was on the stage with him in the Des Moines, Greater Des Moines Civic Center. 2,500 mm -hmm. people, packed audience. And, uh, and, and, and we were all, you know, it was a live TV coverage and we we're being on a time schedule and it came time for Dr. Borlaug to say a few words and uh. he's out there speaking and he's talking with the crowd and, uh, talking about wrestling and talking about his, his various experiences around the world and his vision for the future and going on and on. And, and the producers are down there sort of in the orchestra pit, the TV guys, and they're, you know, running their hand across their throats like, you know, cut it off, cut it off. <laughs> and I'm up here, and I'm trying, how, 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 do I, how do I, you know, the young upstart, how do yeah. I, you know, stop and insult the Nobel Peace Prize laureate by saying you've got to <laughs> stop? So I'm, you know, kind of inching my way over towards him so I can whisper something but he was uh, he, he 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 would he would talk and go on and talk and uh, because he he loved to share stories yeah. and he yeah. was always teaching he was always he and was of course people in the audience were enjoying it immensely he was very very vigorous your podcast audience will appreciate maybe as he was Speaking up there at the Civic Center, this huge crowd, uh, the year before, the University of Minnesota had just won the NCAA National Wrestling Championship. So he had been on the team at Minnesota. And he's telling this Iowa audience how happy he was that the <laughs> University of Minnesota had won the NCAA uh, Wrestling Championship. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, they're going to storm the, the stage and take him out, you know, and tar and feather him and run him, you know, run him out of town because he's preaching religious heresy here. Right. And uh, at the end, of course, he got a standing ovation. I said, Norm, there could be no greater indication of the love, respect, and admiration in which you are held. That you're the only guy who could talk positively about Minnesota wrestling before an Iowa crowd and still get such an effusive, effusive reaction. You are correct with that, Ambassador. Thank you very much for sharing these stories of Dr. Borlaug and your work with the World Food Prize. And although you had to get second billing to him, you handled it so well. I just can't think of a person who could have done the job you did with the skill and finesse and success that you showed. And I admire that the World Food Prize continues to this day. It recognizes people around the world 
and it brings in people that reach all areas of our economy and our culture. And I just thank you so much, sir, for what you're doing and what you've done and for telling the story so delightfully to us today. Well, thank, thank you uh, so much for having me, Ken, and letting me do that. You know, uh, right before Dr. Borlaug passed away, I, I flew to Texas, and I sat with him, and he was sort of lapsing in and out of uh, consciousness and was hold, holding his hand, and he, um, and he uh, squeezed my hand, and he said, Ken, I'm so grateful, and his voice trailed off, and that was the last conversation we ever had and so that's you know my 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 final memory and the great privilege i had to work with one of the greatest agricultural scientists and one of the great humanitarians who's ever walked on our planet thank you for having me ambassador kenneth quinn former head of the world food prize based in des moines